Say hello to a new era of mental health care. Cerebral is here to help you achieve your mental wellness goals with professional therapy and medication management support. 100% online. You'll experience the all-new Cerebral way, an innovative approach to mental wellness designed around you. You'll get a personalized treatment plan from a therapist, prescriber, or both in a safe and judgment-free space. Your cerebral therapist or prescriber will outline a customized plan with clear milestones along the way, so you can get to feeling your best. With Cerebral, you're not alone in your mental health journey. We're here to empower you to live a fulfilling life. So take that first step towards a brighter future and sign up today at Cerebral.com slash podcast and use code ACAST to get 15% off your first month. Offer only valid on monthly plans. Other exclusions may apply. Offer ends July 31st, 2024. See site for details. Ladies in Black by Australian novelist Madeline Sinjin has become a hit twice recently. It was turned into a successful and award-winning musical with songs by Tim Finn, no less, and now it's a non-musical film written and directed by veteran Aussie filmmaker Bruce Beresford. Who's going to be at Magda's party? Are you meeting someone? No, I won't know anyone. I think they'll all be continentals. Do you speak English? Of course. And Hungarian and German. And some French and Russian. A drink? You see, I spent years trying to get the money for the film. And at one point, uh, Tim Finn got in touch and said, you know, that he loved the book and wanted to do a stage musical. And I said, oh, well, you might as well go ahead and do it because I'm the executor of the writer's estate. The literary said, go ahead and do it. And they did do a musical. It was very good. It won awards and things. I thought it was terrific. Yes, this is not an adaptation of the musical. Although Tim, I got Tim to write a song for the end credits. He wrote that for the film, yeah. How well known is the book, Ladies in Black, in Australia? Well, the book has been a big seller in Australia. It's been reprinted here twice and it's now been reprinted for the third time with a film still on the cover. When it was first published in the 90s, Madeline Sinjin was living in London then. I knew her in Sydney when we were at university together. And she wrote the book in London in the 1990s. And it was drawn to my attention by Clive James, who reviewed it for a magazine. And he said, you remember Madeline Sinjin? She was at university with us. And I said, yes. And he said, she's just written this absolutely wonderful book. He said, it's terribly funny. It conjures up the era absolutely superbly, and it's got wonderful dialogue. And I rushed out and bought it, and I bought an option on it, thinking, you know, that it would be very easy to get the money to make the film, but in fact it took a very long time. I just thought it was a very engaging story, you know, this young girl who goes to get a holiday job at the department store. And you see, the theme of it is the effect on a lot of Australians, sort of on a very Anglo-Saxon Australian family and a group of people, and the effect on them of all these migrants arriving from Europe and them having to adjust to, you know, different ways of eating and even thinking and attitudes. And I thought that Madeline handled that in the book very, very deftly and with a lot of humour. There's a, a word that I'd never heard before, which is refos. Yeah, refos. <laughs> well, that was a word of that period. I can remember that distinctly. I remember my mother referring to migrants who moved into houses in our street in Western Sydney, and she referred to them as refos, refugees. It wasn't meant to be offensive. It was just, you know, <laughs> it was just the way Australians put O on the end of everything. I remember at school, just about everybody's name had an O on the end. People used to call me Brusso. <laughs> 
I was going to suggest that the film is a sort of a love letter to Sydney in the late 50s, but it's a slightly critical love letter too, isn't it? Because it was extremely white and Anglo at that time. Oh, well, it was. I mean, the migrants that arrived from Europe in the 50s, well, they came in the 40s too, but a lot in the 50s, especially after the revolutions against the communists from Eastern Europe, they changed the country an enormous amount. I mean, look how cosmopolitan it is here now. I'd never heard of olive oil until I was at university and I had friends whose parents were European uh, migrants to Australia. And I remember going to, to lunch at someone's place and they had this funny oil, olive oil. I'd never heard of it. I mean, how accurate a picture of Australia and Australians is the film? Because, I mean, there are some parts where you think, I can't believe that people could have been quite as naive as that. It's a pretty accurate picture of what it was like then. Because I remember it well. I mean, it was 1960 was the year I first went to university in Sydney. Let's talk a little bit about the characters. It's essentially, as you say, it's about a, a department store, which in this film is called Goods, but it's you know based very closely, I imagine, on David Jones, I'm thinking. Yeah, yes, it is. It's based on David Jones. Madeline Sinjin, who wrote the book, had a holiday Christmas job at David Jones when she was a student. And interestingly, the lead character, or one of the lead characters, Lisa, uh, gets a holiday job at, uh, at Christmas at Goods. Tell us a little bit about her. I mean, Lisa's based on Madeline herself. And then, you know, Lisa's father doesn't want her to go to university, thinks it's a waste of time for a girl. I think a lot of these things happen to Madeline, or that she observed them happening to her friends. I mean, the attitudes of that period are, are pretty accurately portrayed in the film. Then you get Pat, who's married to somebody who's from the country, and there's a big snobbery thing about in Sydney, I think, about people who came from the country as well, wasn't there? Well, the, the country, he's a bit of a hick. He's sort of a bit out of place. I mean, he's the one character who shown in the film as being sexually very inhibited, which is sort of ruining their marriage. <laughs> <laughs> I think Madeline based all of the characters on people that she knew. Some of the people I've met, you know, I met a very elderly lady who was the original character of Magda. Magda's the uh, woman from Eastern Europe who's running a fashion section of the department store. She's the most sophisticated person in the shop as far as I can see. She is. Well, I mean, she, you know, she claimed to have worked in Paris uh, in a fashion store, which probably wasn't true, but she told them that. And she was certainly very, uh, very sophisticated by the standards of all the ladies working there. Most of them were just, you know, fairly ordinary girls who had no uh, university education. I think if there's one character who possibly sort of sums up the character of Australia itself, it might be Faye, who is somebody who left school very early... Well, that's another character. I mean, that's a key character played by Rachel Taylor, who's an absolutely lovely girl and a wonderful actress. She's rather wary about meeting a, a, a foreigner, but against her rather better judgment, she starts going out with this Hungarian and falls madly in love with him. The thing that surprised me most about the film, actually, Bruce, is just what a sweet mood there is. I think that was a factor that really attracted me to the book in the first place. I thought it's so nice, it's so sunny and so optimistic about life in general. Because I kept waiting for um, something dark and miserable to happen, you know, particularly with... <laughs> it doesn't. And, of course, you've got this ongoing thing of the girl wanting to buy the dress. Yeah, yeah. Which she can't afford in the fashion section, and I did it in such a way that you keep thinking she's never going to get it, 
And she does. <laughs> <laughs> and she wears it in the final scene, yeah. Yeah, lots of happy endings all around, actually. I was thinking about the yeah. clothes. I mean, the clothes are, are astonishing when you consider that, I'm guessing, a lot of them had to be made. Yes, a lot did. Um, the, the costume designer... Wendy, she uh, she did a fabulous job because she had to make a lot of the clothes and then she found others. She found some fellow in Adelaide who had a big collection of clothes of the period and he had them, he was selling them and I think she went over to Adelaide and bought the whole lot. I love the fact that you open with a whole swag of pastel colours, <laughs> pastel coloured clothes and then suddenly you cut and there they all are dressed in black. Oh, yes. Well, I did that deliberately, of course, to emphasise the, the blackness. I mean, the ladies at David Jones still wear black. Some of the big department stores in London, they still wear black. One question I have to ask, actually, Bruce, is was there any sort of a film industry in Australia at that stage? There really wasn't, no. No. Because Nothing. I associate you with so much of the rebirth of the Australian film industry, right, going right back. That, all kicked off in the, that kicked off in the 70s. It kicked off with a film called The Adventures of Barry McKenzie. That's right. Well, you see, I came back from England when I heard that the government was setting up a sort of funding system to make Australian films. I came rushing back with a Barry McKenzie script that I'd written in London with Barry Humphreys. And I said, look, you've got to give us the money to make this film. And they were all a bit hesitant, but they said, you haven't directed a feature film before. And I said, well, nobody has. <laughs> <laughs> You might as well give me the money. We made it very, very cheaply, but it was it was good fun and it was quite successful. Hugely successful in Australia. And I have to say that New Zealand has a connection with the film too because it was your first film, but it was also the first paying gig for an expat Kiwi called John Clark. That's it. I met John got a job on the film in a small role and Barry and I became very friendly with him and did everything we could to uh, encourage him and uh, so stayed friends with him. Uh, right up until, uh, tragically, he died last year. A very brilliant, a very nice man. And after that, you were involved in films like Breaker Morant and The Getting of Wisdom, Don's Party, Puberty Blues. These are all groundbreaking Australian films in a lot of ways, aren't they? Well, yeah, it's nice to hear someone say that. I, I suppose they were in a way. You know, when I looked down the list and I saw all these kind of well-known Australian films and was thinking, it's been a while since we see that many Australian films over here. I think there's quite a few really good Australian films that seem to get rather little distribution. They yeah. don't get the distribution they deserve. You know, I try and watch all the Australian films I can, and sometimes I'm quite surprised. I look at something, I think, this is really good. I mean, surely this will be shown around the place. And then you hear, it just seems to fizzle out. You really need a lot of money to distribute films. And I know an American distributor, when I was working over there a few years ago, said to me, there's so many films to market. He said, we find we can't market effectively all the films that we actually own. So we have to pick a few and then say, right, we'll push these ones because we think they'll probably be popular. And he said others, we just have to do very little with them. You just can't effectively market everything. You don't have the resources. Do you love anime, gaming, movies, and discovering how your favorite pop culture affects everything you do? Then join us on Crunchyroll Presents The Anime Effect. I'm Nick Friedman. I'm Lee Alec Murray. And I'm Leah President. Every week you can listen in while we break down the latest pop culture news and dish on what new releases we can't get enough of. 
Whether you love movies, I'm going to tell you all about the uh, hopeful 4K re-release of Tron Legacy that happens. <laughs> <laughs> I'm right there with you. Or music. The music in this show yeah. is absolutely yeah. incredible. Or anime. Yeah, and under this sure. mask is another mask. <laughs> <laughs> you can discover your new favorites right here on The Anime Effect. Listen every Friday, wherever you get your podcasts, and watch full video episodes on Crunchyroll or on the Crunchyroll YouTube channel.